Welcome to all those joining us for the Shir and Chaim Oharan, Ashayochim Lahatoyrois, discussions that are related to the chapters in Likut Imran. We dedicate the learning today, Leroy Nishmas, Roma Peril Basra Bavram God, whose Yorzeit is today on the 4th of Nisan, and also Leroy Nishmas Yentafradel Bas Rabbi Shuarye. We dedicate the learning for a complete refuah shalema for all those that need it, especially Chaviva Chana Bazgalia, Yaakov Yehoshua ben Freindel Recho, Shlomenisim ben Mazal Avram David ben Chana, Sorry Gittel bas Chana Riva, Hindachasa bas Chana, Lubalei bas Sipoira, Gittgenendel bas Sipoira, Besoich Shar Choli Yisrael. Rav Nosenthal says, I heard it told over in the name of Rav Enazal, that he said to someone that a person who was in a previous nation again, they become a left-handed person. When the Zohar Kodesh speaks about Koirach, who was the one that led the Machloikis, the opposition against Moshe Rabbeinu, he was a major Baal Machloikis, and the Zohar Kodesh says about him, that his mistake was that he wanted to change, he wanted to switch the right and the left. <clears throat> Koirach was a levy, and he was he was he wanted the position of Aharon Hakoyin, the position of Koyin Godel. That's what he really wanted. The Koyin is known as the Isha Chesed, which represents associated with the right hand. The levy is known as Givuro, which is associated with the left hand. And Koirach mixed these two up together. He wanted the left to be the right. And therefore, the punishment of a person who is a Baal is that when that person is reincarnated, they're left-handed, <clears throat> which means that the left and right hands get switched. We find in Sefer Hamidois of Rabbeinazal, <clears throat> In the chapter on Emes, which is the first chapter, there Rabbeinazal says a different comment about this. Rabbeinazal says that a person who was a liar in the previous in the previous reincarnation will come back as a source for this. The pasuk is the pasuk in Tehillim, Asher Pihem Diber Shov V'yeminom Yemin Sheker. With their mouth, they speak falsely, and their right hand is a false right hand, meaning, again, that there's a confusion between the right and left hand, that what's really supposed to be the right, the left, the weaker hand, and what's... Rav Nusazal says, I heard also from one of Rav Nusazal's students, Rav Shmuel from the city of Teplik, who traveled with Rabbeinazal on that special trip to the city of Novorich. We spoke about this several months ago in our shurim here, that Rabbeinazal made this trip and no one was allowed to know who he was. He dressed up like a businessman and he traveled with this student, Rabbi Shmuel Miteplik, who had the appearance of a very important rabbi, a long beard. <clears throat> and during that trip, at one point, when they woke up in the morning, Rabbi Nassau commented to Reb Shmuel, 
the difference between how I slept and how you slept. I slept with the topic of deeply into this topic. And Rabbi Nassau commented at the time that we find in the Navi, in Shoftim, chapter 20, where the Navi tells the story of Pilegesh Begiva, a terrible, terrible tragedy that broke out in Klal Yisrael, where a member of the Shevet Binyamin committed a horrific atrocity against a woman. And this led to a major civil war where the other tribes united with an uh, intent of trying to wipe out Shevet Binyamin. And it says there that Shevet Binyamin gathered an army also. And the Pasuk says there that there were 700 left-handed people in Shevet Binyamin at the time. Note that the the Torah makes mention of this as a, as, a, as a something. Interesting to note that in chapter 66 in Likutim Aran, which is one of the long, major, major chapters of Likutim Aran, there in the second paragraph, paragraph Bayes, Rabbi Nizal has a major discussion on the topic of the hands, the right hand, the left hand, based on the passage, and there Rabbi Nezal speaks also about the concept of a person who is left-handed. There's a major discussion in that chapter of Likud Imran on this topic. The next paragraph, now, now this doesn't necessarily mean that every left-handed person is a liar or a balmachlekes, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. Rabbi Nezal says <clears throat> that, that it could be an indication of such an item. Paragraph 103, in the second half of Likuti Imran, chapter 78, Rabbi Nezal has an incredible Torah on the topic of pshitus, simplicity. And Rabbi Nezal explains there that at times, even the great tzaddik has to go into this mode of prostic. Prostic means it's the Yiddish word for meaning a person who's very, very simple. So Rabbi Nezal says that regarding that shear that Rabbi Nezal gave, there's a lot to say about it, a lot to tell about it, as to how that Torah came about. <clears throat> And it's impossible to describe in writing everything that revolved around this. However, I'm going to try to write what I can, Rav Zal says. He said you should know that this shear was delivered on Shabbos Nachamu, which is right after Tisha B'Av. Oh, that Shabbos Nachamu is in the middle of the month of Av, and Rabbeinazal passed away two months later, approximately, on the 18th of Tishrei. And Rabbeinazal says, this is the way it evolved, that shortly before that, Rabbeinazal had changed locations in the city of Uman itself. He went into a different apartment, and that's the place where he passed away. And that apartment was, Rabbi Nezal really was very happy to be staying there. It was, there was a lot of room, there was very good ventilation, and there was a garden in front of the windows. However, 
that apartment or that house belonged to Nachman Nassen. We mentioned this earlier, that this is a person who was an apikoris, a person who was an atheist, denied Hashem, and he had passed away shortly before that. And this house was available, and that's where Rabbeinazal went. And Rabbeinazal moved into this house close to Shabbos Nachmu. And on that, on Shabbos Nachmu, there were a, quite a number of new people besides Rabbeinazal students from before. There were a large number of new people that came to be with Rabbeinazal for Shabbos. It was, Rabbeinazal describes it as a, a large gathering. And on Friday night, Rabbeinazal entered from his personal room into the larger room where all the people were gathered. And Rabbeinazal was extremely weak. He almost had no strength at all to speak. And he came in and he immediately made Kiddush over a cup of wine. And after Kiddush, he sat at the table, he did not go. Bring these Shabbosim. And Rabbeinazal sat there extremely weak, and he started speaking in this state of tremendous weakness. And he said to the people gathered there, why are you coming to me? Right now, I don't know anything at all. When I say Torah, then you, there's a purpose to coming to me, to traveling and coming to me. But now, what did you come for? Right now, I don't know anything at all. Because right now, I'm a complete prostic. Prostic means like the most simplest, simplest of people. The exact opposite of an intellectual. And Rabbein Zal elaborated on this. And he repeated several times that I don't know anything at all now. And I'm just a simple person, a prostic. And Rabbein Zal said that what gives me life now, what gives me energy now, is my trip to Eretz Yisrael. The fact that I was zeh to be in Eretz Yisrael. And he elaborated on this, emphasizing that he doesn't know anything at all. He's a prostic. And the only thing that sustains him now, that gives him chiyas, is the fact that he was in Eretz Yisrael. And from this conversation, Rabbein Azal started speaking and explaining how this works, how when a tzaddik goes into this mode of being super simple, what gives him his chiyas, his life, is the path to Eretz Yisrael, derech Eretz, derech Eretz Yisrael. And he went on to explain that this is also what gives chiyus, what gives energy and life to all of the simple people, all the people who are not directly connected to Torah. They're not studying Torah a lot, and they don't appear to have a strong connection to the Torah. Whether it's people who do learn Torah, who do study Torah, but there are times when they have to take a break. We know that right now, we're, we're in the beginning of the month of Nisan, and this is known as Bain Hazmanim, between periods where many of the large yeshivas 
have this month of Nisan off, they're not officially open, in order that people can prepare for the Yantif of Pesach, they can help out in the house in different ways. So this is called time off, that concept of time off. And Rabbein Zal says that it's this derech Eretz, this, this path to Eretz Yisrael that gives chiyas, that gives energy, spiritual energy and life to those people who do study Torah a lot, but have to take time off sometimes from the study of Torah. And also to the simple people who have barely have a connection to Torah. They're working full time. And even to the non-Jews, to the other nations of the world, they also need energy, spiritual life. And all of them are receiving from the place that the great Tzaddik receives when he is in this state of prostak, very simple, meaning that they're all drawing from the derech Eretz, from the path that leads to Eretz Yisrael. And all of this, Rabbi Nizal elaborates in that chapter, on Kutimran, chapter 78, in the second half of the Kutimran, Rabbi Nizal puts together a fantastic Torah on this topic. In addition, Rabbi Nizal also included in that shir an explanation alluding to the fact that he now had come into this house, this house that was previously inhabited by this Nachmanosan, this great Apikoiris. Because Rabbi Nizal says over there that now, when the Jews are outside of Eretz Yisrael, <clears throat> There are times that the Jews come to a certain place, which was never inhabited by religious Jews, and by them coming there and, and davening and learning and performing mitzvahs there, they conquer that place and they sanctify it. They make it into a Jewish place. They make it into a bechina of Eretz Yisrael, like Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Nizal says, you would think that possibly the other nations can say, you're a bunch of thieves. You took our place. We were here before you. And Rabbi Nizal explains over there, quoting the first Rashi in Chomish, that for this reason, Hashem declared on page one of the Torah, Hashem says, I created heaven and earth and everything in it so that it's all mine. It belongs to me. And therefore, I have the right to give it to whoever I want, to lease it out to whoever I want, and when I decide to change, to make a change, I can tell the people that are there to move out and I can replace them by a new set of people. This is what gives the Jewish people the right to conquer Eretz Yisrael and in fact to conquer the entire world and elevate it to the holy status of, of the Jews. Because Hashem created the world, Hashem with his will, gave it to these other nations for a certain period of time, and with the will of Hashem, he takes it from them and gives it to us. And Rabbi Nassau went on to give that entire chapter on Ikut Imran. A person who reads that chapter is in awe of the incredible explanation that Rabbi Nassau gives for this whole topic. And Rabbi Nassau points out, when Rabbi Nassau finished speaking, he was extremely happy, and he told us to start singing Azamer Bishvachin, 
which is the song that the Arizal wrote for Friday night. And he told us to start singing it before we went to wash our hands for the bread that we eat on Friday night. Where Rav Nosazal points out, usually that was not our custom. Usually we would first wash for the challah, for the lechem, for the hamoitzi, and, and Rav Nosazal would give out the hamoitzi to everyone, and only afterwards would we sing the azamer b'shvachen. And Rav Nosazal adds that during these months, when Rav Nosazal was very weak, most of the time we wouldn't sing at all. However, now, because Rabbi Nezal was so happy after giving this shir, he told us to sing immediately, even before washing for the challah. And Rabbi Nezal joined us in the singing. And afterwards, he spoke to us with tremendous joy and with true chen, with true grace and charm that Rabbi Nezal says was awesome, awesome to see. And Rabbi Nezal sat with us throughout the entire meal with tremendous joy and spoke a lot to us and gave us incredible chizuk, incredible encouragement. Some of it that's, that's been printed. And it was during this sitting that Rabbi Nezal cried out from the depths of his heart. And he said, Givald, zaitach nishmena miayesh. Gewalt is like a scream in Yiddish. Oi, don't give up. Never give up hope. And Rabbi Nassim says, Rabbi Nassim there's no such thing as giving up hope. And, and Rabbi Nassim says, there's no way in the world to describe the hints that Rabbi Nassim hinted to us with all the emotions that he made when he said this, how much he was emphasizing us not to let ourselves fall, not to let ourselves ever, ever give up. And Rabbi Nassau prided himself at the time. He said, look, I'm so happy now. And he said, I'm experiencing Yira and Simcha. I'm experiencing a feeling of awe towards Hashem and at the same time, tremendous joy and happiness. He said, Ich bin heint frum freilich. Frum means full of yira and, and joyous. As the Pasuk says in Tehillim, the gilu bira'ada, rejoice with trembling, meaning it's not a contradiction. It's possible for a Jew to experience a combination of both of these feelings simultaneously. And Rav Nussanzal says, if I were to try to, to describe or paint a picture of the incredible chen, the incredible grace and beauty and holiness and awe and joy of that Shabbos, all, all the parchment in the world wouldn't be enough to be able to describe it. It was so, so spectacular. And Rav Nussanzal says, then we saw the incredible salvation of Hashem and the wonders that Hashem has pity on on the Jewish people at all times, that starting out in that kind of state where Rabbi Nezal was so weak and, and in such a low frame of mind saying, I don't know anything at all, it turned around completely 
to such a deep, deep expression of his love for us that from the from not knowing anything, Rabbeinu Zal ended up bringing a revelation, like the revelation that appears in that chapter in Likut Umran, for which there are a number of chapters of Likut Yalochis that are based on this chapter 78 in the second half of Likut Umran. Rav adds, and if the truth is that we have no idea at all about Rabbeinu Zal, and especially we have no idea what it means when Rabbein Azal said, I don't know anything, which is something very, very deep and hidden, hidden, because Rabbein Azal himself said that his not knowing is a greater Chiddush than his knowing. As we find in, in Chaim Aran, we're going to see this in another part of Chaim Aran, but still Rav Azal says the little bit that we, we can think of on our own we saw incredible, incredible wonders that they can't describe. The fact that we saw Hashem's unbelievable pure kindness to us that, that allowed Rabbein to reveal to us such incredible things that give us such energy, such encouragement to each and every single one of the people who was there at the time. And each and every person that was there felt that Rabbein was speaking only to him, directly to him, and giving him personal encouragement. And at the same time, Rabbein says, we've been zeichet to pass on this encouragement to so many different people. And these words are still living and sweet and still giving energy and encouragement to so many people. Rav Nosenthal says, what can I possibly say? Hashem's kindness is just so, so great. And Hashem is, Hashem is true to us eternally. Following Shabbos on Sunday, Rav Nosenthal says, I wrote over that whole Dvar Torah. And when I brought it to Rav Nosenthal, Rav Nosenthal was holding the papers in his hands. But because he was feeling so weak, it fell out of his hands outside on the ground in front of the window that Rabbein was standing next to. And Rabbein looked out into the garden. He was looking out into the garden in front of the house. Rabbein says, I picked up the papers and I put it back in Rabbein hand. And he looked at it carefully. He looked at everything I had written from beginning to end. And then Rabbein said, what is this that you wrote? I, all of this I was saying to myself. I was saying all of this for me. I was just having a, a conversation with myself. And And this is very, very deep. Rab Nachman Shalim adds, take a look in that chapter, we put him around chapter 78. <clears throat> And study it carefully, and then you'll be able to understand this story. What 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 Rabbeinu said that I I was just talking readers, and and what he went through at the time, and his anioidea, and from how an anioidea he rebounded into revealing this most incredible Torah 
one of the most powerful Torahs in the entire Likutim Ran for encouragement, giving us chiyus, chizuk, encouragement. The next paragraph is also related to this, and then we'll take questions. Paragraph 104, Rav Nosenzal says, I heard it told over in the name of Rav Nosenzal that, that Rav Nosenzal said that the most important thing that helped him get to the level that he got to was this concept of prostic, being able to serve Hashem with the utmost of simplicity. The fact that he spent hours and hours speaking to Hashem in his own words, in Yiddish. And Rabbi Nezal said a tremendous amount of Tehillim with the utmost of simplicity. And this is what really fueled his incredible aliyah, his incredible ability to, to rise higher and higher and coming close to Hashem. Rabbi Nezal said, if I would have known I am now, meaning that I am such a Yiddish, I'm so unique in my generation, I would have done in one day what I, what I did in an entire year, meaning I would have worked with such intensity. I would have ratched up the intensity to the point of what took me a year to accomplish. I would have accomplished it in one day. Vleda of Prostic, a Jew being completely simple. And Rabbi Nezal said this famous quote, I, I, Prostic. If only, only I can be prostic, I can be simple like this. And Rabbein Azaliated that he admitted that the most important thing that helped them get to their madrega was this concept of prostic, that they spent a lot of time and effort in Hispiridus speaking Tashem privately in their own words, etc. And this is what helped them get to the levels that they got to. And Rav Nosenzal adds, Ashrei Lohem, how fortunate are they for the levels that they achieved? A question in the chat, what is this derech to Eretz Yisrael exactly? Is it a path leading to, but still outside Eretz Yisrael? Like outside the real Kiddushans of what this path to Eretz Yisrael is. We know the Torah uses the term Derecheretz. And Derecheretz can mean a number of things. Derecheretz means midois, how a person conducts themselves, how a person behaves, their manners and their mannerisms. That's called Derecheretz. And the Mishnah says in Perkyophilus, Derecheretz kodmolatoira, that Derecheretz comes even before the fulfillment of Torah, that a person has to be to behave in a manner that's pleasant to all the people around the person, a, a proper, a healthy, decent, respectful, respectable type of behavior. That's called derecheretz. Derecheretz is also a term used to refer to earning a livelihood. And derecheretz also means the path to Eretz Yisrael. Now we know that the Jewish nation did not start out in Eretz Yisrael. We started out outside of Eretz Yisrael. We had to travel to Eretz Yisrael. There was a 40-year trip, 40-year journey from Egypt to Eretz Yisrael. It should have taken much less time than that, 
But unfortunately, because of the sin of the golden calf and the maraglim and other things, we ended up getting delayed to it took 40 years to get to it. Rabbeinu Zal and Rabbeinu Zal expound a lot on, on this Derech Eretz. This is also tied into the fact that Hashem did not give the Torah to the world right away. That Hashem waited 2,448 years that the world existed without the Torah being officially given. This also is this Derech Eretz, which preceded the Torah. That there was something else that sustained the world before the Torah was officially given. We're told that there were 26 generations from the beginning of time till Moshe Rabbeinu. And during those 26 generations, the world existed off the hidden kindness of Hashem, the Oitzar Atchinam, the treasury of free gifts. With a very, it's the writing, Rav Nosanzal is the one who wrote the Torah so that it's explained very clearly. 105. That chapter begins with the words, Tzorech li zoher ma'oid lihioi sameach v'toiv lei A Jew has to be very, very careful to be extremely happy and joyous heart on Shabbos. And Rabbi Nezal says there, because the, the Milois and Kiddushas of Shabbos, Shabbos is incredibly holy and special and precious. And he goes on to, to quote a little bit from the Sefer Reishis Chachman, the Shar Abdusha. Rabbi Nezal says, everyone should learn that, should learn the Sefer Reishis Chachma, the section called Shar HaKiddusha, and, and study that, where the, there it goes into tremendous broad depth about the holiness and specialness of Shabbos. And he goes on to say there that on Shabbos, a person can achieve perfection of yira, respect, and fear of Hashem, which is a, a level of yira that goes together with das. And Rabbi Nizal expounds on that. <clears throat> and a number of other things that appear in this chapter of Likud Imran. We know that the Tikkun Ezer points out that the first word in the Torah, the word Bereshis, makes up the letters of Yore, respect for Shabbos, a Friday night. And it began, Rabbi Nassau asked me, are you happy on Shabbos? Yira on Shabbos a deep, deep respect for Hashem on Shabbos, which the Yiddish word for that is from. There are times that I feel from on Shabbos. Ich bin amol from, Rav Nassau said. And Rav Nassau responded, that's not the right way. The most important thing is simcha, to be very happy. And, and Rav Nassau writes that Rav Nassau rebuked me a lot about how important it is to be besimchan Shabbos, to be genuinely happy. And that's when he gave this shir, chapter 17 in the second half of Likud Imran. And there, Rabbi Nizal includes also the concept of Yira, that the main elevation of Yira takes place on Shabbos. By observing Shabbos the right way through the simchan Shabbos. 
There's a pasuk vegilu bira'ada, rejoice with trembling, to show that it's not a contradiction. It's possible for a person to be extremely happy and at the same time feeling this awesome respect for Hashem. And Rabbeinu went on to say that it's on Shabbos when a person has this simcha, that's when the yira is elevated and it joins together with das, with sechel. And Rabbeinu rebuked all of us, and especially me, Rabbeinu says, about making sure, making sure to be happy and joyous heart on Shabbos and to make sure to have many, a lot of pleasures on Shabbos, to have the best foods that we can afford, best clothing that we can afford, all of the tindulge and the pleasures of Shabbos. And Rabbi Nassau quoted the Gemara, the Gemara in Be'er, where the Gemara says that Hashem gives a person a, an allocation of money for the entire year, but that allocation does not include the expenses of Shabbos Nyantif. That's a whole different allocation, separate allocation. So a person shouldn't worry that if I spend more on Shabbos, then I'm going to have less for during the week. That's not the way it works. The money that a person spends for Shabbos and Yantif is from a completely separate source. And it doesn't take away at all whatsoever. No matter how much a person spends there, it doesn't take away from what they need, all of their other standard expenses. And Rabbi Nizal said, even the most simple Jew enjoys Shabbos. They enjoy the delicious fish and the soup. And so they're able to enjoy it. You who are Tramidi Chachamim, Rabbi Nizal was speaking to Rabbi Nizal was speaking to Rabbi Nizal, the other students who were very learned, you who know much more and understand much more about how great Shabbos is, of course, you should be very happy on Shabbos. Then Rabbi Nassau made sort of a sarcastic remark, and he said to Rabbi Nassau, now you'll have what to be depressed about. Meaning, now that I, I, I told you about how important it is to be happy on Shabbos, could be that now you're going to be down on yourself about the fact that I'm supposed to be happy and I'm not happy enough. And Rabbi Nassau says, the truth is, Rabbi Nassau read my mind, actually. Because as soon as he gave this whole sheer about how critical and important it is to be happy on Shabbos, right away I started thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? How in the world am I going to be able to be really happy on Shabbos? And the fact that Rabbi Nazar made this joke and he said, now you'll have what to be depressed about, that itself gave me consolation and encouragement that one thing for sure, I'm not going to get down about this. I'm not going to get depressed about this in any way, about the fact that I, I must be happy and I'm not happy enough. Rav Nusenzal continues that while Rav was rebuking me about this, I spoke up and said, I want to be happy on Shabbos. I really, really want to be happy on Shabbos. And what I meant to say is, even if I'm not, even if I don't succeed at times, but I really want to be happy. And I had heard so much from Rabbi Nizal about how important Ratzon is, how important it is that a person should want to do the right thing. 
So Rabbein Azal said to all the people that were there at the time, did you hear what he said? He spoke well. And then Rabbein Azal rebuked us also about the incredible importance of singing the songs of Shabbos, the Zmiros of Shabbos, to make sure to sing all of the Zmiros, a lot of Zmiros and Shabbos, and to ignore any obstacles. Sometimes a person has people sitting at their table that don't necessarily enjoy that so much. They don't, they don't want it so much. And it appears to the person that, that they, they don't want to hear these, the singing and everything. Rabbein Azal said to ignore it completely and to sing the Zmiras of Shabbos with tremendous joy and to conduct the Shabbos table all day, Friday night, Shabbos morning, Shabbos by day with great simcha because the main thing is simcha on Shabbos. That's one of the most important things on Shabbos. It's interesting, my Rebbe, Reb Michal Dorfner, went through a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties in his life. His oldest daughter passed away shortly after she made Aliyah Teretz Yisrael. She finally got out of Russia, the Soviet Union, during communist times, and made a Teretz Yisrael and took ill and passed away and left a husband and children behind. Then... Years later, his wife passed away. And then years later, a second daughter passed away. Besides all the other challenges that Rav Michal had. And Rav Michal was a Breslover. He learned about singing on Shabbos and he would love to do it. And he mentioned that one of his sons-in-law, when he would come to him for Shabbos, <clears throat> he wouldn't sing at the table because he said it's not their custom. He was a Lubavitcher Hasid. And he said, it's not their custom to sing Zmiras on Shabbos. And Remichel had another And this son-in-law, the one who did, he was a person who, who was able to speak words of Torah, etc., but didn't sing. Remichel had another son-in-law who was possibly less learned, although he was learned. He learned Gemara every day, but but not on the same level in learning as the other son-in-law. He didn't have a beard and payas like the son-in-law who was Chabad, but he was a Hamish He came from Poland and he loved the Zmiras on Shabbos. And when he would come to Reb Michal, the Shabbos, he would sing at the table. And Reb Michal once commented to me, again, as a, to, uh, the closeness of a rabbi to a student, the closeness of a best friend, he was expressing what he felt. And he was saying that when I'm at the Shabbos table, the son and what it doesn't sing, it feels like Tishabov to me. Tishabov, you know, there's no music, there's no song. So much. And it was interesting to note, we're talking about a person who was so close to Hashem. And you would think like, he doesn't need anything. He's connected. All, all the wires are connected to Hashem. And yet to him, it made a huge difference, a huge difference. If he was at his Shabbos table with people who sang, who, part who would sing and participate in the singing versus a person who says, that's not my custom. We don't, we don't sing on Shabbos. I heard recently, I was, I was in America for seven weeks. My mother 
was sick, and then she passed away in the shiva. And I was talking to a relative of mine who mentioned that her husband is a Litvak. She's a Litvak. And she said, Shabbos table, and no Dvar, but no Dvar Torah to a wife at the table. All their children are married, so there are times that they're spending Shabbos by themselves at the table, or with some of the grandchildren, no Dvar Torah at the table. And I heard this, and I was, I was just in shock and devastated, devastated. Again, a person, she wasn't saying this, she likes, she loves her husband, and but she was saying this is a reality. And she said it with a smile. But to me, having having learned Chaim Aran and having been privileged to see the Shabbos table by my Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld and by, by my Rebbe's, my other Rebbe's, to see the singing and the, the simcha, the, the high, and that there was never a Shabbos meal without a Dvar Torah being said that could that was relevant to the people there, that was relevant to the people at the Shabbos table, it, it, was, it was a big eye-opener, a tremendous eye-opener. Rav Zalayetz, this is the final paragraph of this section. Paragraph 106, Kuvot. I heard it said over in the name of Rabbeinazal. Now, when Rabbeinazal says this, it means he did not hear this directly. He heard this from others, that Rabbeinazal said that he had given many shiurim related to his sickness, related to his terrible sickness of tuberculosis that he suffered from the last three years of his life. Because after he had returned from Lemberg, the city of Lemberg, where he had seen big, big doctors there, in just about every shear that Rabbeinazal gave, he included a paragraph speaking about the lungs. The Hebrew word for lungs is the reya, and you'll see it in many of the chapters, the major chapters in Likut Imran, in the second half of Likut Imran. The Torahs that Rabbeinazal said on Rosh Hashanah, where Rabbeinazal spoke about diverse topics, maybe 10 different topics, and then he showed how all of those 10 different things are related to the lungs. And Rabbi Nezal said, based on the many Torahs that I said about this, I, I, should have be, I should have been able to be healed already. However, unfortunately, as a result of the fact that the listeners, the people listening to the Torahs, their emuna wasn't strong enough Unfortunately, Rabbeinazal was not healed, and he ended up passing away at the end of a three-year illness from this sickness of tuberculosis. With this, we conclude this section of Chaim Aran, which was called Sichois HaShayochem Lahatoyros, all types of discussions that are related to the different chapters on Likud Imran, giving us background material as to what was going on at the time that prompted Rabbeinazal to give specific Torahs. The next section that we're going to get into <clears throat> is called Sipurim Chadoshim, which has some extraordinary dreams and stories that Rabbeinazal told to his students. Hashem, I hope we'll take this up the following week. Any questions, please? Rabbeinazal, uh, you spoke about how this 
quality of the lack of a moon in the students perhaps didn't allow for a tikkun to occur with Rabbein Azel. And could you just speak a little bit more? Because you also spoke previously about if we can just have an, a needle, uh, a small amount of faith, a small opening, Hashem will provide uh, so much from, uh, from, for, for, for us. Uh, can, can you just explain a little bit more about Definitely. this relationship? Definitely. It's not a contradiction. On, on one hand, compared to what we really should be doing, what we are doing, Hashem says, I'm not asking that much from you. <clears throat> Give me a little bit, Hashem says, and I'll stretch it. But that little bit, Hashem does expect from us. And Rabbi Nezal is telling us in, in this last piece that we had here, Rabbi Nezal was implying that in order for him to be able to survive this illness, this tuberculosis, it needed a certain amount of emuna and tefillah on the part of his students. And unfortunately, there wasn't enough. There wasn't enough. We know that Rabbi Nezal said to his students, you need me and I need you. We need each other. Rabbi Nezal said, but I need you to bring the bricks and the cement. And here, and there were different times during Rabbi Nassau's lifetime when he became very sick, earlier occasions. And he wrote a letter to his students pleading with them to daven for him. And they did. And he got cured. He got healed. And Rabbi Nassau said, I appreciate tremendously your tefillahs. I know that that's a major thing that helped me get out of this illness. It seems that at this point, at the end of his life, when this sickness was so severe, so severe, it seems that it required a certain amount of tefillah and emuna on the part of the students. I remember my Rebbe, Rebbe Michal said that there are three prerequisites in order to accomplish something very, very big like this. Number one, a person has to realize and recognize the problem there's a term that people use today, denial. A person's in denial. They, they're denying the fact that they have a serious problem. <laughs> so step number one is not to be in denial, to recognize <clears throat> that this is a very serious thing. Step number two is to want to be healed, to want to be cured. Step number three is to believe that the person can be cured that even though it looks so serious and so that a person can be cured, if all of these three requirements are met, then it's possible to turn around even the most difficult, difficult situation. If those three requirements aren't met, then chas v'shalom, it's, it could be difficult to impossible. And this has come up recently a number of times. <clears throat> In the case of my own mother who passed away recently, the, the last year of her life, sort of, she, was, she became weaker. She wasn't able to do many of the things that she used to love to do, cleaning of the house and other things like that that she enjoyed doing herself. And when her strength, when she became weaker, she wasn't able to, <clears throat> you saw that there was a loss of desire to live, desire to continue because this was a major part of her life. If I can't do this, then what am I living for? Even though she enjoyed 
children, grandchildren, this, that. But the fact that this major part of her life was missing <clears throat> took a tremendous toll. A tremendous toll. It says, There's nothing more powerful than the willpower of a human being. When a person really wants, they can, they can move mountains. And, and here in Rabbeinazal's case, it required his, because he was a public servant like this, his desire alone wasn't enough. There had to be the desire and the emuna on the part of his students. And, and, and Rabbeinazal actually said that it, it wasn't enough, unfortunately. And I heard another case recently, one of the people that we've been misspelled for recently, <clears throat> Michal Esther Bas Ruhia. I, I wanted to say the name in the beginning of the year, and I didn't get a chance to. Michal Esther Bas Ruhia, a woman who was a nurse, not just a nurse, but she wore multiple hats throughout her life of being able to help people in all kinds of different health fields. And she became ill years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, with a bout of cancer, serious cancer, and came out of it. And then subsequently had more other illnesses. And recently, a more severe illness, all kinds of tremendous, which, which included incredible pain, major pain, not being able to swallow, choking from their, their own, swallowing their own saliva, all kinds of incredible difficulties and reaching a point where the pain is so great that the person doesn't have the desire to continue, that they, they, they can't handle that level, continuing such a long time in such deep pain. Alavai, the fact that we're learning this at this particular time should bring about a complete Yeshua for this woman, Michal Estabasruhia, Besoich Shar Yisrael, together with all the people in Klal Yisrael that are suffering, whether it's health problems or other problems, to be to a complete, complete refuah sanefesh and refuah saguf. A question in the chat. Did Rabbeinu Zalva speak about why the lungs specifically? Was this a tikkun for some spiritual functions of the lungs that the tzaddik needs to go through? And if yes, what are those? The answer is you need to study the chapters on Yikudimran. It's too long for us to go into right now. But in chapter 5, in the second half of Likud Imran, chapter 8, which are Torahs that Rabbein Azal said on those Rosh Hashanahs, and a number of others, just looking at the index for a moment. Yeah. Chapter 1, uh, chapter, I'm sorry. In the first half of Likud Imran, chapter 8, chapter 45, chapter 92, chapter 225, and 277 all include discussion on, on the, the ray of the lungs. And in the second half of the Kutimran, chapter 2, 5, 16, 7, 8, and 12 all include pieces about the lung. The Hebrew word for lung is raya. Raya means the lung. And there are five lobes to the lungs. The Zohar Kodesh speaks about this corresponding to the five books of the Chumash. And the, the word Reya is the same letters as the word Yira. And Rabbi Nizal draws the connections between those two things, Reya, Yira, Aryeh. Aryeh is a lion, which is the symbol of Gvura. There's a lot written just in Rabbi Nizal's alone 
in these chapters that we just mentioned on this topic. Anyone else, please? Rav, just a quick question in the Rav's opinion. If you buy something for Shabbos and someone says, oh, can I taste that or can I have that? But it's not mine. Is that the right approach? In other words, you bought something designated at Shabbos and someone wants to have it on Thursday or you didn't finish it. And now it's left over on Sunday. Can the Rav just explain what he does? The answer is there's nothing wrong as far as I know in finishing it after Shabbos. If something is left over from Shabbos, nothing wrong in eating it after Shabbos and having in mind that this was holy Shabbos food, in a sense, drawing some of Shabbos into the weekday. Now, once something, once you did designate that you're buying something for Shabbos, if possible, a person should not use it before Shabbos unless you're replacing it with something better, something equal or better. That's for sure. That's part of the, the love and respect for Shabbos. And then the other question is, do you have to say Lakiva Shabbos Kodesh? Or when your wife just goes to the store, she just assumes that I that's what I meant. This was I saw by my rabbis and I've seen it in story that it's definitely a major, major beneficial and holy item to say those words, Lakovic Shabbos Kodesh. When a person is shopping for Shabbos, when, and especially when a person is eating on Shabbos, you know, each time a person takes a new course to say Lakovic Shabbos Kodesh, Saying it is a tremendous dimension of holiness to, to, to what's going on. But do you still get paid back if, if when your wife buys it, if she forgot? That's good to know. We're moving towards the holiday of Pesach that's coming, which is a major, major holiday of the year. While Yisrael is getting ready for Yantif, and this is a special, special time in Shulchan Aruch, when it introduces the topic of the holiday of Pesach, it begins not talking about matzah or chametz. It begins talking about gathering charity in order that the, the poor people should be able to have what they need for Pesach, should have matzahs, should have clothing, all of their things. Chlal Yisrael, Chlal Yisrael is jumping on this. There are campaigns going on all over and, and all of it is needed. Hashem should help that all those that need should be able to get what they need. And all those that are able to give should be able to give generously. And, and in this chus, to really bring about the Geula Shlema, we know that the destruction, the Churban Beis Hamikdash of the Churbanas came about as a result of a lack of proper love and friendship in Kal Yisrael. And this is one of the huge ways where at a time like this, when each person is, many people are concerned for themselves. One minute, what about me and my family? We, we need so much money for the holiday. How can I give away? And, and to believe this, this emuna, to believe that when a person is giving, when a person is giving to others, that's what's going to ensure that I should give them what they need. We should be zeichet to see, to live up to our reputation of being the philanthropists of the world, the generosity of the world. And then that's us be able to, to enjoy the Chaga Pesach with the Korban Pesach in the Beis Amikdosh. Amen, amen, amen.